Uh, well, you're ready to get into God's Word this morning. Yes. We're back in Romans chapter 10. So, uh, why don't go over here? That's even better than a loud shout. I love that enthusiasm. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 16, th- all the way through chapter 11, verse 12 this morning. Uh, as a way of an intro to our text this morning, um, I want to say to you, in case you don't know this, or maybe you don't believe it, or maybe as an affirmation if you do believe it, do you know that you have been blessed? Amen. You are a blessed human being. More than that, do you know that you are blessed to be a blessing? Did you know that? All of the wonderful things that you are, all of the wonderful things that you have, they are given to you by the grace of God. And they are meant to lead both you and others to our benevolent Father and glorify Him. If you are here today and you hold any sense of pride in your accomplishments, in your achievements, what your hands have built in this life, in this world, and how awesome you are or how awesome your kids are or in how good you look or in how much money you have, if only these people knew what's in my bank account. Or in the life that you have lived, your, your, your past accomplishments, or maybe the trajectory that is before you, and you're like, oh, good stuff's around the corner. I've been working for this, and I know it's going to pay off. Or even if you think, especially if you think that your faith in Christ is somehow arrived at your doorstep because you are smarter or more deserving than another person, if you think that any of you have, have earned it, be warned as we open up our lives to God's scriptures today. Paul is going to continue to unfold God's answer as to why so many Gentiles, those are people that are not Jews, are coming to the faith, and yet so many Jews are not receiving Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul will continue, as he has been for the last chapter and a half, continue to um, just uh, uh, recall quote after quote from the Jewish Bible, our Old Testament, to explain his reasoning for this current dynamic. Romans chapter 10, verses 16 and following, he writes this. But not all all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Chapter 11. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. 
I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, did they stumble so, f- so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their uh, loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? What we just read um, opened Paul's first readers to the greater plan, the bigger picture that God is working across all of humanity and throughout the distance of history, past, present, and future, his plan that he's working. Based on his foreknowledge of our decisions, God is working on us, giving everyone every opportunity to receive his invitation to salvation through faith in Christ. One of the analogies that Paul uses, it's not new to Paul, but he brings it back up, to describe salvation is that of riches. Therefore, it is very biblical to think of the gospel of Jesus as a great treasure, great wealth, a great inheritance. You see, the Jews were tasked, were chosen to carry the treasure chest of salvation filled with incredible jewels. We read about them back in Romans chapter 9. They had it all. Paul writes, you had the divine glory. You had his very presence. You had the covenants. You received the law, the temple worship, and all the promises. The patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all Forever praised, he wrote. They had possession of it all. Blessed by God. But they failed to follow the instructions on how to access or to open the treasure chest, which is faith in his grace. Pride in themselves was not the combination to open that vault. It was and it is the blindfold by which they missed the promised Messiah. And so they stumbled. And as the uh, Israelite nation stumbled, withholding the treasure chest, it, it spilled out. 
it dropped out of their hands. It, it spilled out and it, and it dropped and it spilled out to the rest of the world. It spilled out over the nations. And here come the Gentiles. All right. Walking along the beach one day and they see something shiny out of the corner of their eye. And they, and they, and they pick it up. And on it, it says, Open by faith in Jesus and you will receive salvation by grace. Or maybe it might have said, You know what? Do you want your sins forgiven? And for you to not suffer the second death or to experience death forevermore separated from God, if you do, just say yes. And they just said yes. Wow. All this treasure given to me and I did nothing to deserve it or earn it. In fact, I wasn't even looking for it. Praise God. This is the dynamic that was happening in the early years of Christianity. The treasure of Jesus was being received by the Gentiles everywhere. But most of the Jews rejected Jesus as the fulfillment or the treasure of all that they had been carrying for all those generations. The treasure of treasures, Jesus the Messiah. And Paul reveals in our text today that this did not catch God by surprise. Even though most Jesus-believing Jews were surprised that more of their brethren weren't coming to faith in Christ. And Paul essentially in our text today is saying to them, why were you surprised? Why does that surprise you? In fact, if you look back at your own scriptures, our own scriptures, through the law and through the prophets of the Old Testament, it was there all along. God knew that the majority of Jews would not receive Jesus, but that Gentiles would. And God orchestrated in all of this a way to not only help the Gentiles find Jesus, but that the very salvation of Gentiles would lead Jews in envy back to their roots, roots, back to the promises, back to the treasure of the Jewish Messiah. Jesus. And in this, there are many important lessons of which we've covered a few in past Sundays. But the one that I want to draw upon for us today is that the means of salvation is by God's grace, not our works. Which to most of us in this room, this is not a new thing. We've heard this before. We've known this to be true. And yet... And yet, how much of our life is spent living outside of that very reality? Seriously, the fact that a holy and awesome God made you and you ran away from his home, becoming his enemy, and then he would just freely welcome you back? That you were walking along the beach one day and would see something sparkly set up by God through the stumbling of another, and you would claim it for yourself as though you have deserved it, maybe even earned it, that you were looking for it? How foolish. This is not so. Since the dawn of time, God's grace is all over the human race. 
God's grace is over the Jews. God's grace is over the Gentiles. Everything you are, everything you have, and most wonderfully and miraculously, the treasure you have found in Christ is all by his grace. From the air you breathe to the intellectual capacity that you have to your health, to the job that you have, to the success that you might enjoy relationally or financially or spiritually or mentally. It is all by God's grace. It's actually why we see right from the very beginning, all the way back at Genesis with Cain and Abel, it was like built into them, given to them as the most natural thing you could do is that when you received something, even by the hands of your own labor, the harvest, that the very first and most natural thing for you to do is to give your first and best back to God, poured out as an offering to him, burnt up as an offering to him, recognizing that it's all by God's grace. It all comes from him. And I give him this first portion, a tenth, a tithe it would become, and it gets burnt up, spilled out, no strings attached, no conditions or expectations of it making me look good or coming back to benefit me in any way. I just simply give my first fruits to God because I recognize that everything I have received in this life and in this world is from him and for him. Think about the seat that you sit in right now. We're becoming a bit famous as a church for our ugly, broken, burgundy chairs. <laughs> in a true story, my daughter was in a class and she's like, the teacher was like, oh, you go to a church, what church? And he pulls up our church website. There's a picture of you guys from the auditorium on the website somewhere. And the first thing he says is, look at all those ugly chairs. <laughs> Did you know that it would cost us about $40,000 to replace these chairs? And our council keeps putting off this uh, <laughs> expense item uh, because other things take greater priority. Things like paying down our mortgage or helping those in need or investing in discipling uh, others and, and, and other initiatives as well. In fact, just this year alone, this trip that's the, of team that's going to Uganda, uh, it, it'll, the, the trip itself will cost more than new chairs. And, and you know what? We're, we're happy to do so. Because we'll be giving chairs, not just any ordinary chairs, chairs with wheels, <laughs> wheelchairs, to people that have never had a wheelchair before. Some of these people have been crawling along the ground their entire life. And for the first time, maybe in their 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s or 60s, they're getting a wheelchair. It's incredible. And on top of that, others will go on this trip from our church, and their whole life will be changed as a result. They'll experience and they'll see things. God will expand their horizons. He'll meet them and visit them and, and, and reveal things to them in ways that they never would have either seen or experienced or realized otherwise. And we consider that a worthwhile investment too. But coming back to our broken burgundy chairs, we've decided to do, with, well, you know, to do our best with what's been given to us. These chairs are about 40 some years old. They've seen a lot of our backside. <laughs> but have you ever considered who paid for them? 
Most of these chairs, in fact, all of them, were paid for by faithful giving of people, most of whom you've never met and nor will ever meet until you go to heaven. And yet, how many of us here have ever given a thought to the chair we're sitting as, as a, a vehicle or a revelation of God's grace? Through the grace of God, we have a chair, and it was given to us through the faithful worship of someone who's never even met us before. You know what? We might have complained about our chair. You know, sometimes we get poked by a screw. <laughs> sometimes a broken weld leads to an uneven sit and a kind of a visit to the chiropractor later that week. Sometimes the, the foam is worn out and it gives us the illusion of comfort, but we sit on it and it's like, this is not a comfortable chair. <laughs> Sometimes the upholstery gets ripped or torn from a youth event or whatever, and, you know, little foam starts poking out, and it's kind of ugly and an offense to our eyes. You might have complained about these chairs, but have you ever praised God for them? For the person who gave up a vacation, the person that gave up a kitchen reno, the person that gave up driving a nicer car so that you could have a seat today. And that's just a chair. I mean, think about the person that led you to the Lord. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher that week after week gave them themselves to opening the Bible to you. Maybe it was a neighbor who crossed the street and continued to be nice to you and invite you out to a church event or whatever it might be. Maybe it was a friend that kept on nagging you and wouldn't let your rejection of them uh, be a deterrent to them keeping on asking you to come to church with them or to think more about the faith. Maybe it was a preacher or a youth leader, or maybe the Lord just put an idea. It's like, you know what? Maybe I should check out church. And what does any person do nowadays in 2024? They hop online and they Google churches in mission. And by the grace of God, this church had a website. And by the grace of God, this church had a building with an address. And by the grace of God, there was a service happening every Sunday at a specific time that you could show up at. And by the grace of God, there were men and women on stage leading songs of praise to God. And it touched your soul. And you were surrounded by a group of people that was like, whoa, this room is full of men and women that say that God is good. Or this this room is full of men and women that can testify to God's grace. I mean, think of the sacrifices and the faithfulness of those who have gone before you and how by their sacrifices of worship, you just so happen to find the treasure of Christ that is salvation. And you know what? We can go back and back all the way to the early church and what was started there to those first apostles and disciples. We could go to Jesus himself and the grace that he gives to us. And we could go even past Christ in history to the family that raised Jesus. And we could go back even past that to the nation which carried the promise of Jesus. And we go even past that to the God who made the promise of his mercy. And we have the audacity to think that we're doing God a favor by giving him our yes. By showing up and giving him 75 minutes on a Sunday and then we think, okay, God, I did your thing on Sunday. The rest of the week's mine, my time. By dropping a 20 in the offering 
or even giving 5% of our income, by volunteering in kids' ministry one hour a month, by attending a prayer meeting or giving them 15 minutes in the morning to do our devotions or working really hard to provide for our families or doing yet another load of laundry. Nobody sees me. (laughs) Just unloading the dishwasher here. Nobody notices me. (laughs) We can be so arrogant and so naive to think that we're the ones here doing something great as though it's by our effort and our strength, as though we're doing God and others the favor here. He owes me. They owe me. It is the reality and the experience and the dynamic of the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story of Jesus told in the Gospels? A younger son that came and demanded from his father his part of his inheritance. And he left his family, took the money and ran away. And he wasted it on sex, on drugs, at the casino. He became homeless, starving, and eventually hit rock bottom that he was willing, well, maybe I'll just crawl back home and I'll become a servant in my father's household. At least then I'll be clothed. At least then I'll have something to eat. But to his surprise, when he gets back home, he is welcomed back by his father as though he did nothing wrong. In fact, his father throws an expensive party to celebrate his return. It was as though he had squandered nothing. It's like he had done nothing wrong. And all that he had wasted and squandered was restored, was returned back To him as though he had done nothing wrong. Grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, family, you are that child. I am that child. Do we live in that reality? Our arrogance, our foolishness, our wasteful living is all forgiven. We aren't even welcomed back in the position of a servant or even a second-class citizen. We are welcomed back as a perfect son or daughter. And if the father doesn't think of you as a second-class citizen or as a servant, but as a full-rights son or daughter, his own child, perfect in his eyes... If the father doesn't think of you as a second-class citizen or treat you like a second-class citizen, why would you treat yourself and others like that? If the father forgives you of your sins, why, why won't you forgive yourself for your sins and others for theirs? If your father is that good, that forgiving, that generous... That gracious, would you not feel like the luckiest, most fortunate, most blessed person on the planet? Would you not rave about your father to others? Would you not go into the highways and the byways wearing the family robes and and adorned with the family jewels knowing 
full well that you did not deserve them, and yet they are given to you. And you'd wear them with pride. And would you not carry out the Father's business, your Father's business, even the most menial task, with joy, with eagerness, with gratitude, even delight? Would you not see that everything that you are and everything that you have is from and by His grace? Would you not see that the greatest treasure you have in this life is not the wealth that your Father shares with you or has given to you, but rather that your greatest treasure is simply Him? He's your dad. Oh, how we go through this life beating ourselves up, beating others up, putting ourselves down, putting others down, revisiting our sins of yesterday. Oh, and we love to revisit the sins of others' yesterdays. (laughs) Whining about this chore or that chore. Insecure, as Pastor Renee shared earlier about those cheerleaders and the hockey team insecure about this or that doubting him hedging our bets against him living with one foot in the world and and one foot in the kingdom kind of having a backup plan well God if you don't follow up with this and at least I've got this contingency plan hedging our bets on his character and on his power holding on to offense, holding back on putting him first in generosity, in serving, engaging and playing the comparison game and with it envy and jealousy and strife and discontentment and all those things that come with it, or even being so bold as to think that we are deserving of its grace and then so judgmental and self-righteous that others are not. Don't forget also that in the story of the prodigal son, there's a third main character, the self-righteous older brother who is upset, jealous, selfish, bitter, angry, and proud at how his father treats his younger brother. You see, there is a lens by which We can see through the story of the prodigal son lots of different dynamics, including the the contrast between what Paul was writing in our text here today between the Jews that received Jesus and the Jews that rejected him. There's another lens that we can look through the prodigal story at our text here today and we can see uh, the, the Jews that rejected Jesus being like the older brother and the Gentiles who have received Jesus being like the younger brother. And then there's also the very personal lens by which we can look at the story of the prodigal son. And we can see ourselves personally either as the self-righteous, proud child of God, proud in ourselves, or the humbled, grateful, prodigal child of God. Which one are you? Do you see yourself as though God is fortunate to have you as his child? Or do you see yourself as though you are fortunate to have him as a father? 
And the difference of those perspectives are world apart. I've fleshed out some of the ways that this can manifest in the Jewish and Gentile dynamics that, dynamics that Paul writes about. I've also fleshed out some of the ways that this can manifest even down to something as so simple as how we view the chair that we're sitting on or serving in our father's house or carrying out his business during the week. Whether we hold on to an offense or choose to let it go. Whether we hoard for ourselves and trust in ourselves and give God the leftovers or whether we give him our first and best and trust him with what's left over. I said at the beginning of the message today that I wanted to draw out one point from our text that salvation is by God's grace and not by our works. And I said that this concept is not new to most of us and it is not distant to our understanding But then I said, I wonder how much of our life is spent living outside of this reality. As Paul wrote in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 11, at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The implications of this for our lives are staggering and comprehensive. The promise and the experience of this impact on our lives are every th- has, impacts our every thought, our every attitude, our every action. Is all that you are and all that you have a product of your doing or his? Are you the self-righteous brother who deserves to be treated better than others and that your dad is fortunate to have a son like you? And when others do well, even though they haven't worked as hard as you or endured the sacrifices that you have made, do you throw a party for them or a pity party for yourself? Or are you the prodigal who has squandered so much of what has been given to you? And while you deserve nothing, he has given you everything. And in some ways, admitting the sacrifices of your older brother, even though he's got some issues to work through with you and your dad. Are you giving this life, are you living this life, hoarding, building a kingdom for yourself? Are you living this life, giving it away? Building your heavenly father's kingdom. Because you know that whatever the family business, your father's business receives, he shares so selflessly with his kids. Show me your calendar. Show me your goals in life. Show me your bank transactions. Show me what occupies your thoughts. Show me what shame weighs you down. Show me what rocks of pride you are currently stumbling over. Show me your attitude towards those that are richer than you. And show me your attitude towards those who are poorer than you. And I will show you where you are at in receiving and applying or appropriating the grace of our Heavenly Father. And I don't say that in judgment or in condemnation of anyone. I'm right there with you. Each day struggling to let go of my pride and receive the grace of God for myself and others.
for my past, my present, my future, struggling to apply and to believe and accept and appropriate God's grace and power to my everyday decisions and opportunities that are before me, struggling to build his kingdom over my own. And we are so fortunate to have a God who showers grace upon grace upon grace. Each time you mess up, he says, you're forgiven. Get back up. Oh, you you did the same thing again. You're forgiven. Get back up. Oh, you did it again. You're forgiven. Get back up. You are my son. You are my daughter. That's our heavenly father and his posture and his activity towards you. Do you know who your dad is? Your heavenly father. He is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign one. The holy one. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he shared the riches of heaven with you. Live in the abundance of your inheritance through Christ. Your heavenly father embraces you. That's the riches that Paul is talking about in this letter. And those are the riches that anybody can receive by faith in his grace. He's that good. I'm going to pray for us, the music team. We can come up. Uh, Lord, we've read your text today and applied just and considered just one sliver of all of the, the gems, all of the nuggets that there are in your word to be mined. And Lord, I pray alone that just that, that just that thought alone would place in us a gold fever of sorts, a hunger of sorts to be students, humble students of your word. Children that are eager to both seek and then hear the voice of their heavenly father for the personal direction and wisdom, the forgiveness, the correction, whatever is needed from our heavenly father to hear that and to receive that. Lord, I pray that we would not just be a church that sings and gives lip service to a God that is gracious. I pray that we would be a people that know you to be gracious, have experienced your grace, and in the abundance of your generosity and your kindness towards us, it would melt our frozen hearts and we would become gracious and we would become abundant in our love and in our way, not just unto you, to, unto yourself, unto you, but to ourself and to others as well. That as we would see the, our understanding of your grace applied to our lives, it would change the way that we relate to our spouses, to our kids, to our friends and our family, to our co-workers, to our brothers and sisters in this body that we would be men and women 
that have received your grace and extend your grace to one another. That we would apply the riches of heaven, how much we have received in you. Thank you, Lord. May we be gracious. May we be humbled and may we be elevated in light of who you are and how you look upon us and treat us. We love you, Lord. And we'll do our best today and this week for you. We put on your robes of righteousness. We put on your crown of righteousness. And we enter our day and our week ahead of us in light of whose we are. We are yours. You are our dad. You are with us and you are for us. But that reality sink deep into our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions, we pray in your name. Amen.